When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Caroline Foran, who is a best-selling author, motivational speaker, freelance lifestyle journalist, and also the author of Own It, Make Your Anxiety Work For You, and You Got This, Face Your Fear, Find Your Confidence, and she's the host of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. In this particular podcast, we discuss the wonderful idea of anxiety being a signal and making it work for you and not against you. Just to remind you, this podcast is for educational purposes and is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, please seek the appropriate medical professional. And last thing before we begin, this year, my conference, Mental Health Retreat, is going to be live. I'm so excited. It's so much nicer to be live and to connect in person with people. Such a different dynamic. And this is going to be such an important mental health retreat, which I'm running in Texas from the 2nd to the 4th of December in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be so important because I'm really going to be getting to the nitty gritty of what anxiety is and what depression is and really how you can manage this, especially since anxiety and depression have tripled over the pandemic. I want to talk about what this really means and how can we control this and how do we help our our adolescents and our young children through this and how do we get to the other side. I've got some great guest speakers and we will also be issuing CMEs and CEUs. Go to drleafconference.com. The link will also be in the show notes. And now back to today's podcast. Caroline, I'm so excited to have my namesake in the studio with me today and to interview you. You're amazing. We had such a beautiful discussion on your podcast when you interviewed me and thank you for that. And, you know, we wrote an article together and now I have the pleasure of interviewing you about your incredible work. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, wow. What an introduction. Thank you so much. It's an honor to just share this platform with someone as accomplished as yourself. And and you've just had such a huge influence on me with all of the way you distill everything into such a digestible manner. It just makes the world such a better place. So, so thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. Well, you've written two incredible books. You have an amazing podcast. You've impacted my birth, well, my, I should say my country of origin. My mom was Irish. So I'm half Irish and oh. and we have the same name and I thought that's so great. And you're in one of the most beautiful countries, in my opinion, in the world, Ireland. Oh. And, and I know you've mass- you. you've had a massive impact, not just there, but globally. And so let's talk about, just tell my listeners and viewers a little bit about you know what it is that you do and your background. And then we're going to launch into your books and some principles. You have some amazing principles. I mean, I love these the six, uh, the 10 different truths about in your new book. And there's just so much we're going to discuss. So I'm excited oh. for this discussion. It's practical. It's real. And yes. I know everyone is going to benefit. So let's start by you, you just diving into who you are, what you do and why you do what you do. 
Well, thank you so much. I think it's really important to start off by saying that I'm not an expert. I, I'm just a, a regular person. I'm a journalist and an author. And I have always just shared my experience of anxiety. And that's been my coping mechanism. Um, and I suppose where I see myself fitting in is bridging the gap between someone who's maybe having a hard time, who doesn't understand anxiety, and an expert such as yourself. Uh, so I would have interviewed a lot of experts like you and tried to piece together you know, a lot of sometimes the information can be quite overwhelming and this, the neuroscience and the psychology can be quite a lot to take if you're feeling overwhelmed. So I try to kind of filter it through my own lens of well, what worked for me and what doesn't and how, what approaches I find helpful. Um, and I think for me, when, I, when my anxiety was really bad, I so wanted to hear from somebody who had felt like I felt and had come through it and could say to me, you're going to be okay. And now I've become that person for a lot of people. And so so that's kind of where I see myself. I've written three books now. My first book was all about anxiety. And when it came out here anyway, went to number one for 16 weeks. And while, yeah, I mean, that was great for me as a writer, but it was also very indicative of where we're at with anxiety, you know, in society. And this, it's a real problem. And then my other books followed from that. And then the podcast was just a natural extension of that, because I think you'll know yourself if someone is feeling anxious, sometimes it's nice to just put in the headphones and listen to someone talk about it and go for a walk. Sometimes the idea of delving into a book can be just a lot if you're feeling so up in your head. So the podcast format's really important, I think, for, for anxiety. And yeah, so to this day, I give a lot of talks for different companies and I share a lot of content on social media, just trying to help people. My goal is really just to normalize anxiety and, and all the difficulties we have with our mental health that are so normal um, and trying to really just break through that stigma that still lingers around and normalize talking about it, even when we're in the middle of it, not just when we've come through it, but to say, do you know what? Like, actually, today I did have a very stressful, panicky day and I just got on my stories and I said, you know, this is the most important thing now is, is I'm feeling it to let it happen and then to be really kind to myself afterwards. And my followers really appreciate me sharing the, the ugly parts as well. You know, I don't just turn up saying, here I am, I figured it out and now I'm going to tell you. I'm always figuring it out and I, and I still get bumps in the road with anxiety all the time. We're human beings, you know, nobody doesn't. And that is why I love talking to you because that is, you know, you can have all the degrees in the world, but what you've just said is the most important thing. And it's after all the years of studying, it's what I always say as well, is that you, you have to let it happen. It's normal. Anxiety is yeah. part of being human. And you said such a wonderful thing there. You had an experience today. You're still figuring it out. No one's just made it. You know, we have this ridiculous mental health perception in today's world that one day you'll get rid of the anxiety. It's never going to go away. What we do is we learn to manage it and we learn to understand it and we learn to redirect it and we learn because it's part of being human. It's not yeah. something we want to obliterate because it also helps yeah. us to experience who we are as humans. But if we want to, if we don't want it to control us, we want to control the anxiety. Exactly. You know, and you give very nice, good examples. And I love the fact that, you know, that the vulnerability is so important in your new yes. book. You actually talk about, it was actually chapter, I don't know which chapter it is here. Let me have a look there. Chapter, truth number five, a willingness yeah. to be vulnerable makes you invulnerable, understanding the vulnerability paradox. And I thought, well, I was going to jump to that later. But yeah. just because you said that, let's talk about that because that's also a, a huge theme that I'm sure you've picked up over the pandemic now is that people yeah. are talking a lot about being vulnerable, being authentic, being true. You know, we've gone from a few years of, you know, I've got it all and toxic positivity and, you know, yeah. there's the end goal, the fake whole wellness movement, it. fake it till you make it and say the positive things and the positive oh, yeah. affirmations. And, you know, they've, they've got their place, but gosh, not, not the place that they've had. And so people have shifted to the vulnerability, more authentic movement. And so it's definitely in, we in that movement now. 
So I'd love I you to just so. dive in and talk yeah. about that. So I think given the year we've all just had, we've had a crash course in vulnerability. We've had to come face to face with it. A lot of us didn't plan it that way, but we've had to be more forgiving of each other. We've had to, you know, be more allowing of things like working from home and maybe having the kids come in and interrupt you or, you know, having technical glitches because you're working remotely. And, you know, we're all just trying to get by. So we've all gotten familiar with vulnerability and I just I've been fascinated by vulnerability as as a topic because I think it's the one thing we all have in common yet it's the one thing we all try so hard to hide behind and any like lots of books from the 80s and 90s would have like taught you how to be invulnerable and never show never show your weakness or vulnerability being, being perceived as weakness and I for so long in my life as when in my 20s I believed that if I was going to succeed I would have to suppress all sensitivity and all anxiety and be made of steel in order to make it. I remember specifically reading a book called If You Have to Cry, Go Outside. And that to me was just like the blueprint for you have to become this person if you're going to cope. And it just was a rejection of how I was naturally. And I'm a sensitive person and I have anxiety. And I realized when my anxiety was so bad, I'm sure we'll talk about how that came about. The one thing that kept it perpetuating for me was me trying so hard not to feel it and trying not to be vulnerable. And it just kept me going and going and going. And things only turned around for me when I was willing to say, okay, maybe I need to lean into this. Maybe my anxiety is trying to tell me something. Maybe I am a sensitive person. It doesn't mean I'm a weak person. Um, And maybe I am vulnerable here. But actually, since I was willing to own my vulnerability, my life has opened up in ways I never would have imagined. Like my career has taken off because I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable. I have better relationships because it breaks down barriers when you allow yourself to be vulnerable. I have better experiences professionally and people tend to think that, you know, professionalism and vulnerability can't go together. They can. And it's not, it doesn't mean you're going around crying all the time. It just means you're bringing your most authentic self to, to the fore and, you know, allowing for your humanness to be present. And it takes the pressure off. It dissolves imposter syndrome. It, it has been the antidote to me for so many of our everyday anxieties. And actually when you're willing to be vulnerable and, and embrace that part of yourself, you know, and we all have it. We're all vulnerable to the pandemic. We're all vulnerable to heartache. We're all vulnerable to illness. When when you allow for that to be present, it actually kind of gives you, and this is why I call it the vulnerability paradox. The very thing you were searching for, you get it by be, being vulnerable. You get that sense of, well, nothing can get me because I'm I'm okay with my vulnerability. That's okay. So for me, it has been a very happy paradox to stumble upon. And one of such a, a major piece of the puzzle of getting myself to a point of of owning it. And that's the wording I always use because it's not about getting beyond anxiety. It's not about curing it or fixing it, which I always thought was the case. For me, it's about saying, yes, sometimes I feel anxiety and that's okay. And I deal with it when it comes up and I know how to manage it and I own it. It's part of me and I take it with me, but it doesn't define me. And I don't have to ever get beyond it because then that's creating pressure you can never live up to. This episode is brought to you by Bitty Baby from American Girl. So much of what we can learn as a child has the ability to impact the way we treat ourselves and how we treat others. Of course, every child loves to play pretend and parents know the stories children act out to help shape the person they grow to be. That's why it's so important to provide your little ones with toys that foster those nurturing traits of love, kindness and care. This is why I love Bitty Baby which is one of the best ways for moms to introduce their little ones to the world of American Girl. 
It provides young children with a fun way to learn by enacting moments of nurture with baby doll with perfect huggability and attention to detail. These dolls and lessons are designed to last. Pretty Baby's huggable baby dolls help young ones develop nurturing traits through imaginative play, which is great for their brain development. This year, Bitty Baby is getting a whole new look with new designs and colors, plus matching clothes for girls, so she can coordinate her look with personality, from the Bitty Baby twin dolls to adorable feeding accessories like the Bitty bottle set. You can teach your child that kindness is the ultimate gift with Bitty Baby. My listeners can get an exclusive one-time offer of 15% off your order of Bitty Baby products with promo code DrLeaf at AmericanGirl.com. That's AmericanGirl.com, promo code Dr. Leaf. Exclusions include the 18-inch dolls, Courtney Arcade, and Bitty Baby Furniture. See AmericanGirl.com forward slash BB Podcast for details. The link and details will be in the show notes. These days, with everything online, it can be really stressful to spend a lot of time checking grammar and vocabulary before sending that report, social media post, paper, or email. Indeed, when it comes to saving time and working more efficiently, it's the little things that start adding up and hogging time in the day. This is why I love Grammarly Premium, which gives real-time suggestions on your writing so you can get to the next item on your list in record time. I love using Grammarly's Premium to double-check all my work, from the social media posts I put up every day to research papers and book chapters I have strict deadlines for. It works on everything from Instagram to Google Docs to Microsoft Word, and can be used in so many ways, from just checking vocabulary to making sure that nothing is plagiarized. Grammarly has saved the day multiple times and given me the peace of mind and peace of time to practice some real mental self-care. Even with the free version of Grammarly, you're safe from embarrassing basic spelling, grammar and punctuation mistakes. Hit send with confidence and get your points across more effectively with Grammarly's Premium and get 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at grammarly.com forward slash Leaf. That's 20% off at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. You said so many valuable things there and they're so scientifically accurate and they go along with Yay! hand in hand. <laughs> they go hand in hand with everything that, uh, that my research that over the years that I've discovered yeah. and also just being a human, forget about the scientist and the therapist, just being a human, what you've said is so freeing because it's so true or the anxiety is something that you have to just learn to manage and it's not going to go away. It's part of a, it's part of who you are. And some people are more anxious than other people, but mm-hmm. everyone has anxiety. You know, that yeah. leveling of the playing field. And you know, what's really beautiful about what you said as well is that if you look at how our brain and body are designed and the psycho neurobiology, which I know we spoke about last a lot in, in when you interviewed me, but just very quickly, because my listeners hear this all the time, your body and brain are designed to actually embrace that anxiety for its mm-hmm. message. And that's what you've just said. So when you do that, you actually get the balance in the brain and you get the brain waves going properly and you get the right blood flow and you get the right chemical reactions and the hormonal reactions. When you say, okay, I'm feeling anxious. It's okay. I own it. There's a, I'll get through this. There's a reason for this, which all the things you've said, that's what that aligns with our brain and our body. And we've got these two, our, our brain is divided into 200 different sections and each section has all these specialized connections and yours are different to mine and they are they're activated in the correct way when we accept our, our anxiety and yeah. find the message and move, move through it. But when we try and suppress it, and it's so interesting you raise that because I was trained in the era where mind and brain were separate, but mm-hmm. mind was this thing 
that they understood the separation. They didn't think the brain could change, which was wrong. The separation was correct, but they did. It was an era in the 80s and 90s and sort of 60s, 70s, well, about the 50s, there was the suppression thing. Before that, it was much more open. So then we swung from being open to being suppressed to then ignoring it and thinking it's all just physical. Now we're back in the vulnerability era, which is interesting yeah. how we keep going through, through these shifts and how dangerous that is because these are volcanic. The reason mm-hmm. for your, your anxiety is a symptom of an underlying something and it's volcanic in nature, it will explode. And so that's yeah. where the vulnerability that you've described is so beautiful where you've allowed yourself to be vulnerable, which has then helped you to be able to process. So your brain's yeah. like it's matching what your brain and the mind-brain-body connection, you've facilitated that. Yeah. So I always so use great. the words like uh, for me the biggest thing is to work with yourself instead of working against yourself yes I, I say the so same long, thing yeah, yeah that's so, so good long, everyone tries to work against themselves they try to be a different kind of person they try to not feel what they're feeling and that gets you nowhere and it just actually creates more anxiety because when you're resisting what is you, I'm sure you're releasing more of the same stress hormones and chemicals whereas when you allow for it and you say okay well well I am anxious right now whether I like it or not obviously it's not a nice feeling but how can I work with myself? What what would support myself better in this moment? And it might sound like an airy fairy idea, but for me, when I speak to people like you and I learn about you know what's happening at a neuroscientific level, it cannot be argued with. You know the impact that being working with yourself, the impact that being kind to yourself and saying instead of saying you're such an idiot, why can't you just not be this way? And if you choose self compassion, the fact that that actually then regulates the stress response for me, is such an incredible tool. And it's not something to, you know, roll your eyes at. It's not a hippy dippy idea. It's a neurobiological thing. It is a neuro, yeah, it is. I and mean, I just did it. It's so important. It's so important. And I, I just did two podcasts recently, one on kindness and what it does in the brain and kindness to yourself and others and how mm-hmm. we should be literally dressing in a mantle of kindness to ourselves and others. And then I did one on crying just this week. Oh, and yeah, we had such so a response. And so what you're saying is so true. It's all, it's how we, so you are a lived, a lived experience of, of helping people to realize that this is the truth. This is the reality, which is so exciting. I love it. So let's talk yeah. about your story. How did you get here? Cause you have a, have a story and then we can sort of touch on. Yeah. Cause you also, you brought up a truth there. One of your other truths you said there, which one was it? You just said self, I actually forget what so, even yeah, even yeah. So actually, no, you know what? That may not be in one of these. I think it was in your other book about the okay. self compassion and the kindness, but that was one of the yeah. things that we were going to talk about. So I'm glad you raised that point and you know, you can wind that into your answer, but tell, tell, tell my listeners and viewers about your story. So I always struggle. Yeah. I always struggle with this question because I feel like when people hear the phrase that I had, like what I would describe as a mental breakdown, they're expecting something very dramatic or traumatic to have happened. And I had a very normal upbringing. I had very loving parents. I had a great environment. Um, There was a couple of maybe perhaps small adverse child experiences that maybe I got a couple of frights, like very, very innocuous things when I was maybe seven, eight years old. This Again, I always feel like this sounds so simple, but it's now I realize how powerful it was. But when I was like seven or eight years old, three of my grandparents died at very, very close together. And what I know now is that at that age, you're able to have a fear response. You're able to, you're capable of quite imaginative thinking, but you're not yet capable of rationalizing or, you know, mediating your world. It's a very powerful time. You have a very fertile imagination. And I did. And I remember being taken to see my granddad in the funeral home. And and like I was looking at a dead body and I was so frightened. And I know my parents, they were just trying to help me. They just thought maybe it would be nice to say goodbye. It had the complete opposite effect where I got so frightened about the idea of death and about the fact that my my parents say, oh, your grandparents, they're with you. Don't worry, they're with you. And I was like, huh? 
I don't want them to be with me. Like that is terrifying to a seven-year-old. And I just so, it's funny now, like but I so vividly remember being so frightened about these large concepts of death and someone who I love who was here and now isn't, and now they're cold lying down. So a couple of those experiences that I now kind of say, okay, maybe those little things set you up for a slightly more anxious disposition. I also think that I just, it's, I have a bit of, of an anxious nature. Perhaps it's a bit of nature and nurture. I've always been described as a bit of a worrier. I always had issues with my tummy, my, my, like always told I had like IBS or different things. And it was all, I know it was always anxiety. I was just a nervous kid. I felt like I needed to be with my mommy all the time and she had to work. So I, I just felt this longing. And, and I think as well, when, when, you know, at that age and growing up in the nineties, you know, our parents didn't have the language to sort of say, to come down to your level and address your worries in a way that actually helps you unpack them because parents then would have just said, don't be silly, don't worry. And of course, it's valid to a kid. So there was a couple of things like that, very ordinary things, everyday experiences that I think maybe everyday experiences. And I don't mean to interrupt you there, but I want to just quickly hone in on that everyday experiences. We mustn't, those are cumulative over time. And there's a lot of research coming out now showing that it's not just the massive things that happen, but it's the massive things and it's the little cumulative traumas that build up. And, And as you said, what was for you, it seems like something little, but actually it was massive for you. And we can yeah. never understand that, you know, to say, oh, don't worry about that. It's not something to be worried about. We think we're helping a child, but you're not because that mm-hmm. child for them, it's massive. So what it we've was. got to do is try and get down into their head. So thank yeah. you for pointing out that there is that, you know, that difference. And I know the intentions were good. Your parents' intentions course, were great. Yeah. And as an adult, you can go back and, and redefine that. But for people to realize and see, maybe that's contributing. Maybe those are little yeah. cumulative little things. Because we've really? all had trauma. These are the little yeah. traumas that little we Little traumas along the way that seem very ordinary but really are cumulative and very powerful, especially when you're at that age where you haven't yet been able to rationalize it yourself because you don't, your brain isn't there yet. I'm exactly. Sure. Absolutely. No, so, it takes a few years before that yeah. metacognition, that ability to really self-regulate and understand and process and stand back. That yeah. takes quite a few years to develop. Yeah. So whatever you experience in that time frame where you can sort of have these big thoughts it's very, it's a very delicate time that can really shape the person you end up becoming. Not to, not to scare parents, you know, but like it's true. We all, you know, we all have been shaped by our childhood. And then when, and then I was, I mean, I was doing okay, but then I'm in my twenties. I guess the anxiety that really knocked me came to the fore, and I, it was very simple. Again, it was didn't seem like any big deal, but I had a lot going on at one time. I had a lot of change happen in a very quick period of time. I guess it was maybe bubbling under the surface, but I moved out of my home. And in with my boyfriend, he's now my husband. So that worked out okay. I also at the same time moved, I changed jobs. And I know people change job every day and it takes a while for people to adjust. But I got into that new job. And on day one, I was like, I just knew with every fiber of my being, I've made a mistake. I don't want to be here. What have I done? And it just started it, straight away. The anxiety went straight to my stomach. And that has always been the way through which it's been communicated with me. Because I didn't connect the dots. I didn't have the awareness of anxiety I just thought I had tummy issues. So I was trying to solve all these digestive issues. And it was like my tummy was just cranking it up a notch, making it worse and worse until I got the message, until I was stopped and listened. Because I felt so much shame to turn around and say, I don't think I made the right choice here. And I actually don't think I can cope when people are coping with far less. I felt like I had no reason to feel like that. I couldn't justify it. I felt like this was ridiculous. Nobody can get sick from something like this. I need to just get on with it. You know, it's such an Irish thing of just get on with it. You know, be grand have a cup of tea and it's just it just compounded and what started about anxiety about the new job became 
eventually anxiety about what people would think about me, anxiety about what, how would it impact my relationship, this new relationship, you know, anxiety about what would happen to my career because I, I started to just shut down. And I remember just so vividly one day I was trying so hard to just get on with it. And I, my body was like, no, we're not, we can't get on with it. And I started to, all those anxiety symptoms started to manifest until I got so bad that I said, okay, hold on a minute. Maybe this is a mental health issue. Maybe, maybe this is to do with all this change going on in your life as much as you don't want to admit it because you feel embarrassed about it. But maybe that, maybe that is what it is. And I remember I was trying to get ready to go to work one day and I was trying to put my mascara on and I had just had the worst night's sleep. I just, I'd stopped sleeping and I, I, my hand was shaking so, so much trying to put my mascara on. And, and I was just like this and I just like dropped the mascara and I just knew I wasn't okay. I went to go into work. I actually got lost on my way into work. I rang my mother and I said, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't feel right. I, I, I just feel really, really like unsafe and really frightened and nervous. And I, I, I just basically just broke down. And she sounded really worried. And eventually I, I thought, okay, I have to leave this job. I, I don't care about anything else. I have to get myself well. And I thought just leaving the job would be, be it. But it was kind of like stress that had built up for so long, left unaddressed, that eventually it had grown arms and legs. And then I thought leaving the job would make it all go away, but it didn't because so much had changed, you know, in my brain and in my body. There was, you know, it was the, the stress response was on high alert. And now, when I removed the anxiety about something tangible like the job, well, what I was left with was anxiety about the anxiety. I was so frightened that I was capable of feeling this way in the first place. I was so frightened that I would lose myself. I was so frightened that I seemed to be the only person in the world that I could see feeling this way. I was so scared of panic attacks. I didn't know what they were, why they were happening. And for me, I know people always get frightened when they're having a panic attack that they're having a heart attack. I was so desperate for something physical to pin my finger on and say, this is why. But in the absence of anything like that, it just, to me, the only, if the only answer was, no, you're just unraveling mentally, that was the most terrifying thing to me. And I think that was pressure coming from myself, you know, to do with the stigma around mental health, because physical health, we, we think happens to us. We're okay with it. Whereas mental health, we think that is us. This is so important. I don't, I, I have to really emphasize that you have said such a valuable thing that is going to free so many people. We physical health, we understand happens to us, but mental health is like, it's, it's, we, what did you us. say? It is yeah. us. And, and the stigma around it that you had to suppress. If you've got a, if you've got cancer, you go treat the cancer, but when, and that's only, and our bodies only one to 10% of who we are, but we give it, we give it, we, we accept it. It's okay. You can get sick and you can fix it. But when it comes to our mind, there's no space created for that. You know, that's what I know you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, and what a lot of people are trying to do now is to change that whole thing that people, like you said, things like, I'm, I was embarrassed to say something. You said something so interesting. I was having to try and justify why I should be happy in this job, my life and everything. I've got this wonderful yeah. husband and, you know, life and I've got this job and, you know, it's trying, you, you couldn't find any more reasons to justify. So there's this whole parrot, there's this whole paradigm, this whole narrative that you have to change, that yeah. it's okay to, to lay, you know, we, we should be all out there having our breakdowns all the time in public because people talk about, you know, I mean, this is like, okay, what I'm saying here is that we should be as accepting of people crying and having an anxiety attack and not looking at them and thinking that they're crazy as much as we wouldn't look at someone who says they've got a broken exactly. arm or they have a GI tract issue. Yeah. That's totally acceptable. And that, Caroline, is something that really does have to change. And, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you explained it like that in your story. Because I hear your story 
in different narratives. Obviously, everyone's got their own narrative, but the underlying theme is this thing of, I'm so embarrassed about the fact that I'm not coping mentally. Like, no yeah. one's coping mentally. Let's I be know. honest. Let's I be know. honest. And, and I, we suppress I really, and it explodes. Yeah, I really believe that if we get to the point where it's normalized to the same extent that having, like you say, a GI tract issue would be, then I don't even think we would suffer half as much as we do because so much of that top layer of anxiety is the anxiety around what people will think about you, how it looks, how you'll be perceived. And also then to compound it even further, you have things like toxic positivity, which I know we will talk about where people would say, people would scratch their head and look at me and say, what have you got to feel anxious about? Or sure, look at you. You're, you're glamorous because I'd have makeup on or as if anxiety is like a particular look or, you know, you, you have everything going for you. And that just further added to it. It's like, what right do I have to fall apart when people are dealing with so much worse? And that really just lay, embedded in. And I just felt like, you know, you need. So then, of course, you go straight. You launch an attack on yourself straight away. And that. Yeah. Your identity gets attacked. That's the biggest yeah. thing, I think, with this whole, you know, if you say, look at the words like embarrassment and justify and. You know, you've got to be, you know, people are saying, well, you look at all you've got. And then you looked at yourself and you said, oh, well, I've got all this. I shouldn't be. So there's your whole identity, Caroline, is it is attacked when someone says that to you. It's like me, I'm just useless. I'm shame or whatever. You just, it's, I mean, your identity is attacked. You start losing hope and that makes it 10 times worse. And you yeah. said something so relevant that the, that layer of that whole way that people look at you and the way that, uh, that society's painted this societal picture of mental health. That's a whole other layer on top yeah. of the other layer, which then makes the other layer 10 times worse or a million times worse in, in some cases. It's just, it just perpetuates so much. So I think where we really have power is to work at that cultural level. And then it's up to the individual to work on the tangible things that bring about their anxiety, whether it's the job or something. So, you know, you have to address it in, in all these different ways. So, yeah, I thought that leaving the job would make it all go away. It didn't. And then I really had to, of course, then when all this kind of these thoughts were in my head of like, what's wrong with you? Get a grip. This is not OK. Like why your boyfriend didn't sign up for this. This is not who you were when he got, he went out with you. You're a burden. Your parents have just like set you free and now you're coming back to them. I needed I literally I got so bad that I needed to sleep in my mom, my mother's bed with her because I was so anxious having panic attacks. I needed her to be beside me to sleep. And I was like 25 and I felt so embarrassed. And I ne- I didn't and there's know, no I was, shame in that. No, there's no shame in that because that human that. connection is beautiful. It gave, yeah. gave you the peace that you needed. I needed it so much. I remember so vividly my, and I felt like, a, I felt like a child, but my mother was sitting beside me on the bed. She was trying to soothe me to sleep and she was stroking my face as she always has done when I've been upset. And she started singing Cindy Lauper, I see your true colors. And like the tears were just popping out of my eyes. And it, do you know what? As, as awful as it was to be at that point, it was such a beautiful moment to know that like the power of human connection and, and like me allowing myself to be my most vulnerable self with her was like me hanging on by a thread. And she says, like, I see you at your most, what you feel like is your weakest point right now, but I know you're still in there. Um, and I had to set about building myself back up. But first I had to change the narrative from this is ridiculous, get over it to, okay, this is where we are. How can I help? Does this actually make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, well, then be nicer to yourself. You know, of course you're anxious. This is a lot going on. Of course you're overwhelmed. Of, you know, and actually also then to broaden it out to realize you're not the only person feeling like this way it's just that nobody's talking about it and then for me as it always I've been always been a sharer I've always been a talker 
how I have coped has always been to, to look for reassurance from other people by saying, this is how I'm feeling and, and hoping that they will reflect back to me that it's okay and that it's normal. So I started sharing this on my social media. And I also felt at the time, like there was, unless you had, unless you were in Bali in a bikini, you had nothing to add to social media. So I felt like I had nothing to contribute, you know? So then when I first posted saying, listen, I, I'm, I haven't been posting, so I, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm really not okay right now. And I'm, I'm trying really hard to put myself back together again. And just this like crack opened of all these people who I thought I knew in my life who started messaging me saying, oh, me too. Oh yeah, that was me too. Oh my God, me too. Thank you for saying it. Thank you for verbalizing it. And I just realized how much we're all suffering so much in isolation. Like again, that vulnerability thing, we actually all have it in common yet we're so afraid to show each other that we're struggling or we're suffering. So I had to eventually get to the point of saying, I'm going to work with this instead of against it. I'm going to try and own it. I remember seeing a quote on Pinterest and it just it said, darling, just effing own it. And I was, it was a sort of freeing thing to be, just sit with it. Just, okay, here it is. Let it happen. Let it wash over you. And it wasn't, I wasn't coming to that from any kind of point of expertise like you. That was me just, that was my last. That's what's important, but that's yeah. what it counts. It's human. It's you know w- what I'm doing is studying this, but I'm a human. I go yeah. through this too. I have my own vulnerabilities and anxieties, and I'm you. What you're saying is is freeing me. I mean, it's actually we, we we need to have these conversations because we've got to allow each other to break down a little mom stroke or cheek, and you know, and to and to go on to social media and say these things because this is what this is just what humans are. That deep meaningful connection we need that so badly. So it's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. So yeah, just like allowing myself just to to be who I am, be anxious and start to think, how can I, how can I like support myself bit by bit? And yeah, just, and then it just, I did that so publicly that people came along the journey with me and I went down loads of different avenues. You know, I did medication because I was just struggling so much physically. I wasn't sleeping for months on end. I lost a lot of weight. I, you know, I was really, really struggling. So did medication as and I also think it's very important to say that you know that was just one aspect for me that helped me get to a point where I could then benefit from other things like therapy CBT was huge for me that was a major turning point different things like diet so not adding more fuel to the fire by just having lots of coffee or alcohol or you know I call these like the low-hanging fruit that perpetuates your anxiety further what are you doing in your life that's keeping your anxiety going Sometimes it's hard to address the root of it but you can help slow it down a little bit and that helps you get a bit of clarity so that's always something I've done what else would I do? There's so many things, different exercise. I found that running, I was trying to run the anxiety anxiety out of me. It wasn't helping. It was making me feel more on edge. So when I changed to something more like weights training, it actually helped. It kept my heart rate kind of in a nice level and it sort of helped my parasympathetic nervous system come online. So those kind of realizations and I started to piece together what I knew worked for me and that became my book and everything else since then has just followed on from that. And I still like today, I just my baby was just having a a nightmare a few days of sleep and everything just lots of things just went wrong today and I just felt the stress just kind of build up and up and I just had to sit there and like let it just let the chemicals just do their thing and ride it out and you know just let it happen and and I went on my social media and I said you know what ha- what matters more to me it's not the fact that I had a panic attack or I had a moment of anxiety it's how I treat myself in the aftermath that's where you can do damage and if, if I yes, can say, that's if really happened, valid. Yeah. So if important. I can say to myself, mm. okay, this happened. It's okay. You don't have to take it with you. You don't have to analyze. It. You don't have to unpack it. But allow for the fact that it happened. Your stress levels got too much, and that's okay. They did what they needed to do. Your body has your back. And 
let's so I just thought to myself okay what can I do okay I'm gonna have this lovely podcast chat I know that's gonna be really nice and and like healing for me and then okay we we were gonna cook dinner I'm not gonna cook dinner I'm gonna get takeaway because that's just one less thing I need to worry about I'm gonna put on my favorite tv show and just you know engage my brain with something frivolous and so I always ask myself how can I really support myself afterwards and then it doesn't become this attack on myself you know this tearing apart of well you should why you had a a panic attack you've obviously gone backwards you're obviously back there none of that is helpful and I've only recently learned really about like the neuroscience of of how how powerful self-criticism can be and how we all think it's going to be self-motivating and actually does the complete opposite it keeps us on that perpetual anxiety loop so I try and always interrupt myself when I get into an anxious mode and really say really try and be kind to myself it just it's probably the most important thing I've learned and the most effective thing I can't agree with you more and I'm thank you for saying that and for just the fact that you have expressed yourself now you probably feel better too just having spoken about this because you had this whole build-up to doing this interview and and I mean both you and I do interviews all the time but it's not just even though we do it all the time each one is still it it takes a huge amount of you giving yourself yeah Yeah. you you're on and you vulnerable and you and you, you're exhausting after you've after I've finished I'm sure you feel just as tired as well in, in the moment you've back energized but it does yeah. take energy from you but it's healthy because you've actually whatever you don't get out is going to go in so you know then it'll then it will transmit in negative ways so that's yeah. one of the things I just wanted to sort of highlight with what you've said there for the listeners and the viewers is that you own that experience and this is what that's what the neurocycle is you basically gathered awareness and you reflected and you did your little you know you allowed yourself to mentally go through those those steps of being able to own it and then talk about it and express yourself and and as you're expressing yourself you're making sense of it you but you expressed yourself not with judgment with kindness and that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to emphasize too how you keep stressing that you you say it's okay it doesn't matter and it's fine and you know there's a reason why I'm showing up like this I don't have to have that reason now but you didn't allow yourself to oh I'm bad I'm shame I shouldn't be doing this which yeah. is such such a go-to kind of statement yeah. in our current narrative. Oh, there's something wrong with you. You're mentally ill. You're broken because that also removes hope. So people either go to the shame and condemnation or they go to, oh, I'm just a broken brain. I'm a useless individual. I'm crazy. And that's also yeah. terrible. That takes so I much hope away. Sometimes. So it's taken me a long time to get to this point of my kindness, but I do sometimes fall back into the trap of thinking, like having this, I guess, core belief about myself that maybe I'm just a little bit broken and it's a very damaging line of thought to follow you know I I, like when I feel that I just try to I guess like I put my thoughts on trial and I say well what evidence is there to back that up and you know every we're all we all have cracks in us and as I think it was Leonard Cohen said that's how the light gets in and it's really important and you know me being a sensitive person I have to keep reminding myself has I'm really grateful that I'm not made of steel because I think actually some another point is really important to make from, from all the conversations I've had at my podcast like the world doesn't need you to be a perfectly perfectly well-adjusted being. The world needs people who have experienced anxiety, depression, who have ups and downs, who, who can bring color to experience of life. You don't have to become homogenized, perfectly chilled out person. You can be you, you can be your anxious self. You can, you can still feel it as long as it's not completely derailing your experience of, of enjoying life every day. Then I don't think you need to change so fundamentally. Proper hydration is so important when it comes to our mental and brain health. But it can be really hard to remember to drink enough water or get the right nutrients, especially when you have a busy schedule or are always on the go like me. This is why I love LMNT, electrolyte drink mixes. 
Not only are they delicious, I love their new watermelon salt flavor, and easy to travel with, but they are filled with everything you need and nothing you don't. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for people following a keto, low-carb or paleo diet. All of their products contain a science-backed electrolyte ratio and are completely junk-free. No coloring, no artificial ingredients, no sugar, no gluten and no fillers. This is why LMNT is my go-to electrolyte drink and trusted by many of the world's leading health experts and athletes, including Team USA Weightlifting, dozens of professional sports teams across the NFL, NHL and NBA, and Navy SEAL teams. For a limited time, you can claim a free LMNT sample pack. You only have to cover the cost of shipping, which is just $5 for US customers. Each sample pack includes seven packets of LMNT, one of every flavor, and the offer is limited to one time per customer. For more information and to claim your free offer, visit drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Like many people these days, I've been struggling with uncertainty. What does the future hold? What will tomorrow look like? All these anxieties have made everyday activities like sleeping a challenge, which is why I've started using CBD to help support my mental health and brain detoxing. I have found that CBD is a great help with sleep and reduces pain, anxiety and inflammation. However, the CBD market has become extremely saturated over the last few years. It seems like now you can buy CBD in almost every coffee shop or grocery store. The only brand I trust is Ned when it comes to CBD products. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world using full spectrum hemp oil products extracted from organically grown hemp plants. All the products that Ned offers are science-backed, nature-based solutions that provide an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Every night I use Ned Sleep Blend, which contains CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep along with 750mg of CBD made from the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp oil, as well as organic and wild-crafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. I also love their full-spectrum hemp oil, which helps de-stress my wellness routine with a single all-natural remedy for alleviating stress and anxiety. If you want to check out Ned and try their full-spectrum hemp oil or sleep blend for yourself, we have a special offer for the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter Dr. Leaf at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order only or 20% off your first subscription order. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order. The link and details will be in the show notes. I totally agree with you. That's why I called my podcast Cleaning Up the Mental Mess because a mental mess is something that is beautiful. It's part of us because you can only grow and repair and grow if you don't, if you have a mess. So without the mess and the messiness of our mind is how we experience life. And we don't know what's coming up. We don't know what's going to come up in the next moment. You don't know how your child's going to react when you come off the podcast and exactly what's going to happen to And probably it's all going to be great. But, you know, you may get an email or a phone call. Or maybe your child's sick again. This is all whatever. It, this is all, it's all part of life. I don't know what's going to happen when I walk out of this podcast. I know, I know what's coming up in my schedule. But it's that beauty of being able to say, this is okay. You know, this is part of life. And, and, and we all know this. We all, what you and I are talking about, all in everyone can relate to this and say, yes, I agree with this. And then we, but we live immersed in an environment that say you can't. So there's cognitive dissonance yeah. between what we instinctively know and what's in the social structures of our environment. And it's impacting us terribly. 
We, we don't know how to create the boundaries. You don't know how to create the space. So thank goodness there are these conversations being had because it gives us a chance to try and break this, this negative kind of world that we live in when it comes to mental health down. So that yeah. mental mess is, is, is good. It's part of us. It's yeah. our neurobiology, our psycho neurobiology, mind, brain, body functions on messiness that is managed. Mm-hmm. But if we try and pretend the messiness is not there, what we do is we stay in a mess. And that's what yeah. we're not designed for. That's yeah. where the harshness, the judgment, and the, and where, as you said, what the self-criticism does to the brain and the body. I mean, it increases inflammation. It changes the telomeres. It's, it changes your hormonal response. It changes your immune response. Those, but if you're managing it, the minute that you go from, I had a panic attack. I'm terrible. I'm broken. I'm useless. I'm shame. I shouldn't. Why am I doing this? I, when you do that, 1400 neurophysiological responses are working against you. But the minute you do what you said, where you said you owned it, you accepted it. It's part of it. It's not nice, but that's okay. You're going to be conscious of, you're going to get the takeaways. You're going to watch the movie. You're going to let your brain just relax on something further. You're going to enjoy your husband and your baby. And the, the minute you did that, you shifted that, that impact from 1400 neurophysiological responses working against you to 1400 working for you. So your blood vessels dilated, you got more oxygen to your brain, you were able to talk through these things on this podcast. And, you know, that's what we should be modeling. You're modeling what we should be doing as Mm -hmm. humans to ourselves and to each other. So thank you. That's really great. And I think like a really important thing as well is, is like, it's, uh, I learned this from um, Dr. Kelly McGonigal, who I'm sure. Yes, I know who I know. And I've interviewed her. Yeah, I loved her approach to it's not the presence of stress or anxiety that's the problem. It's our perception of it. You know, we're not going to get rid of stress or anxiety. But if you perceive your anxiety as such an enemy and such a threat, then it's going to be really hard to deal with. Whereas for me, I say, okay, I really now it took a while, but I really now say this anxiety is presenting because I need to become aware of something. It's a messenger. So I'm, I'm doing something that's not serving me very well. I'm working against myself. I'm not suiting the person that I am right now. And maybe that's taking too much on. Maybe that's not taking a bit more of a break. It could be anything. Maybe it's having too much, you know, stimulants in my diet, but it's the anxiety is there. It actually has my back. And I try to always describe it like a really overbearing parent who's just really worried about you. And it, it doesn't need to be so worried, but it's, you know, it means well. And instead of thinking of it as this, this, I always, I remember like when I first started to feel it, I really felt like I was, had been taken over by some kind of like anxiety virus that I, need, I needed to just banish from well, my life. Well, that's the message. That's you know? the message of today is that you're controlled by it. You don't have any control. That it's some broken brain, neuropsychiatric yeah. brain disease. And so you're quite right that that, that, uh, ten, that perception you had was a perception coming out of the current narrative, but it's wrong. It's not the truth. What you're saying is correct. It's a messenger. And as, as you said, Kelly McGonigal, I'm glad you cited her work. It's, it's, it's excellent. And there's research that came out of Tokyo, the University of Japan and Texas about a year ago, a few months ago, also saying that if we, the Western view of seeing anxiety and depression as negative is not at all helpful. Whereas yeah. if you see it as positive, it actually works for you. Then my research is recently that, that I just published, uh, that I'm just I'm busy publishing on, and that's in my book. Same thing. If you look at it as a warning signal, you yeah. actually shift how things work for you. So there's so much evidence of what you say. So, you know, you, you are, you've experienced it firsthand and you're applying it in your life. And there's evidence, scientific evidence to back up what you're saying. Yeah. That's really validating because it's just great to know that, you know, what I'm experiencing actually aligns with what the research says. You know, it just validates that it is the right thing to work with yourself instead of, you know, sometimes I come across these YouTube videos and it's like how to banish your anxiety in five minutes and never feel oh, again. Oh, gosh. I they remember, should be, they should I be know. off. They I shouldn't remember, be there. 
like I remember coming across all those things when I was so vulnerable and I was at my lowest ebb and I remember thinking I would pay any amount of money just give me the secret what's the secret and all those things just prey on your vulnerability and they made me so much worse because I was trying so hard to get away from it I remember going into this particular therapy session and he and he was like it was some kind of like vibration thing I, w- I would do anything I just wanted to yeah just to get peace and he said like you're going to walk out of here and your, your anxiety is going to be gone so whatever, I mean, it was, just, it was just like a relaxing experience, right? It was just like a, an exercise in relaxation. And when I left, I felt very relaxed, but I was so unaware that I actually came out of, out of the building and into my mom and I said, it's gone. The anxiety has gone. And she didn't know any better. And she said, okay, that's great. And then I remember going to bed that night and I was like, it's gone, it's gone. And then I started to feel a little bit like, maybe, maybe it's not gone. And then I just fell apart. I thought, why aren't these things working for me? Am I so broken that they're not working for me? So those things that told me how to cure it made me so much worse. So I, I always want people to be so wary of those things that prey on your vulnerability and to really understand how anxiety happens in the nature of it. You, you haven't just become possessed by some paranormal. Yes. You know, or body. you don't. Yeah. And you're not some weird broken brain, weird things in your brain that are now jumping out and controlling you. I mean, it's scary to have that. And you shouldn't have to enter your bank details to unlock the secret to managing your anxiety. That's not, you're not going to find the answer there. Exactly. And I'm glad you said that and how they prone your vulnerabilities and how anyone, anyone who's offering and saying that you can get rid of it in five minutes is, is it's dangerous. You know, the whole, as you said, the whole path that you're controlling anxiety is to owning it and realizing that you, it's part of you understanding what it is, which is a response. It's a warning signal to something that's going on. And it's, and as you embrace it, you get control over it because it's a whole, all the different elements of that. And that's mm-hmm. so vital to understand and so vital to embrace. So I'm so glad that you said there's no quick fix. You know, I say in my, I show in my research that when you feel empowered to, to, that you have a level of control, that's when, that's when you feel like anxiety and depression. Can you feel, you feel empowered that you can manage them? But I never say that you're going to, in five minutes or five steps, get rid of your anxiety. Yeah. You're going to find the root, and then you're going to reconceptualize that root, which is, in a sense, eliminating the root of, but you're still going to have the anxiety because when it yeah. comes up in the future, you recognize it for what it is. You embrace exactly. it as a helpful messenger. So you're not yeah. scared of it. You say, hey, okay, I understand that. I know that. I recognize that. The last time I had it, there was this reason. So let me look at it again. That's such yeah. a different approach to thinking, oh, there's something wrong with you. I, I remember I used to fear so much when it would hit me again. And now I don't at all because each time I, this has been crucial for me is that each time I have an, an experience of anxiety, I learn something new. I get a better understanding. I get better at managing it. You get better at anxiety and I, I get closer to knowing what works for me and what doesn't. And so every time I have an experience of that, as, as, as uncomfortable as it might be in the moment, and it's never, it's never without a lesson or some learning or some feedback that I really needed to, it's like fa- failure in any shape or form for me always, it actually, it helps you course correct and it narrows your focus to what's actually important or where you need to be putting your energy. So in, in the same way, anxiety, I've changed my relationship with it. I've also changed my perspective on, on just generally things not working out or failure that we come up against. And it's really something actually that's quite essential. I love that you've raised that point and I'm so glad you did because that is something that this world of positivity, toxic positivity and the wellness movement and positive psychology, which all have great elements to them, but what they have created is this external kind of sort of thing that, that you've got to reach that. And until you've reached that, you're not good enough. And then that means that every, so the, like you, you keep looking at yourself as a failure. 
you know, there's a whole boomerang effect of that. Whereas you've got to recognize that, well, that's a great goal to go for. But if I don't achieve that, whatever I do achieve, what have I learned from that? It's just so much kinder than, yeah. oh gosh, I failed. I'm yeah. useless. I'm not going to get there. What's wrong with me? Because that's what you said earlier on. How many people, how many times have I said that to myself? How many times have you said that to yourself? How many times have so many people that I talk to, that I work with in my practice said, what's wrong with me? There's not anything wrong with you. You're an amazing human being. You're going through something. You know, when you shift that, I mean, now with all my experience and research, when I catch myself going down, I stop it so quickly because I recognize, hey, that's messy. Let me, I know where it's coming from. Let me see what that is. You know, because that will lead to tremendous anxiety as well. You know, and anxiety is such a pervasive concept. We talk about anxiety as this, like it's an it, like it's a clinical anxiety, like it's a sort of like a cancer. Meanwhile, it's a, it's a pervasive experience that yeah. crosses so many different boundaries and in so many different ways and so many different spheres of our life that yeah. we need to understand it and yeah. know how to work with it. I think that's the most important thing is to, before people go about addressing it, I always find there's such an urgency to get rid of it or to, to calm it down or to stop it. You can't go, you can't leapfrog to that without understanding it in the first place. So for me, how I, I, I worked it in my first book in owning it is I, I kind of put, it's nothing scientific, but I just, I decided to create a framework that I could use. So I yes. called it talk about that. So, so instead of just, you know, if someone's really anxious and they've got all the stress going on at work and they just slap a yoga class on the end of their day, that's not going to get them anywhere. That's just going to give them a nice half an hour of relaxation and the same anxiety and stress is still going to be there. You have to start by, understanding like and this is something you only have to do once I guess but understanding what anxiety is how it functions how it happens in the brain why it's normal why we need it and then get a clearer picture on maybe why is this happening for you what's going on in your life and then like what what maybe happened in your childhood or what's going on right now what just led up to this and then what are you doing to keep it going like those perpetuating factors and then when you understand okay well I've assessed the anxiety I know what's going on I have I understand that I'm feeling anxious I've labeled it now I can say, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? So that education part for me takes away half the anxiety. It, it normalizes it and it empowers you. The knowledge is so powerful, but it also helps you just make sense. And if you can contextualize what you're feeling, it just kind of all calms down a little bit. And then you can really benefit from the things like, in, so that's the assess. And then the address is whatever you know that's going to help you to calm things down and bring you back to that equilibrium as long as it's safe and, you know, to do so. And then, then it can be whatever works for you. And I really agree with you about the whole wellness industry. I think it became, it was meant as part of, it was meant as the solution that became part of the problem. Another measure of self-worth and another stick to beat ourselves with. And, you know, to be, for me, you know, it was like, oh, does my morning porridge look like a work of art, like a matcha bowl, a acai, acai bowl, or am I doing yoga at 5 a.m.? And I'm like, oh, that's just not me. So, but everything wellness is just what makes you feel well what makes you feel well it's yeah there's all those things out there that you can do that what makes you yeah. feel well as you said there what make there's so many different options and i always talk about that as brain preparation so it, all those things that you know eating that healthy diet all that's mind driven everything's mind driven but those yeah. you've got to prepare your brain so things like the yoga when it suits you you know like yeah. also i'm not going to work out at five in the morning and if it does work for you fantastic but if it works for me at five in the evening well that's also good you know, so yeah. as you say, we've got to not, there's not a formula. It's not a cookie cutter formula. It's to take all those things out there. The wellness industry I see is a lot of, for me, brain preparation, brain and body preparation. And I always explain it like that, that you can use it in that way. And then you've got to go beyond and you've got to do the mm -hmm. whole address and assess. That's where my neurocycle comes in, your address and assess. In other words, manage it, accept it, own it, all the things you've been discussing. And that part's not spoken about enough. Fortunately, it is being spoken about more. 
yeah. know, you're talking about your lived experience, you're able to give your lived experience. And I've got the science side and giving my lived experience. And there's so many of us talking now on these platforms. The tweet social media has been amazing. But this mm-hmm. part that we're talking about, the beyond, just yeah. the, is so important. You know, and you oh, address this beautifully in your books. Thank you. Well, Caroline, do you have any other closing statements before we go? And then you can tell people where they can get hold of you. I mean, there's, there's so many things that we could still discuss and we'll do this again. So, I mean, you've got so many things. Do you have like a closing wrap up? Pearls of wisdom. How, and how yeah. do you currently clean up your mental mess? What are you, which is not one thing. It's a whole yeah, process. We've touched on a lot, but something that I think is worth taking away is to ask yourself always, if your anxiety rises up, is this my anxiety or my personality? Like if you are going to do something, if you want to say no to something, is it your anxiety saying no? Or is it you, your personality saying no? Because if it's your personality, you want to work with that. You don't want to go against who you are as a person. Like, for example, I don't really like camping at festivals. And I could easily think, oh, that's my anxiety. But no, I just don't like it. So if I keep doing, if I keep putting myself into those situations, I'm not going to be a very happy person. Exactly. That's really good. It's really helpful to to ask yourself, where is the distinction between your anxiety driving you and your personality driving you? Um, And and that's for me, has been really powerful. So I always think that's it's worth maybe sharing that. Um, And just as we both said at the beginning, you know, just work with yourself instead of against yourself and just take, take a breath and think about what that looks like for you. And it's really been, it's, it's, there's no, it's not more complex than that. That's really it. Like, I love that. Oh, I love that. It's wonderful. Caroline, where can people get hold of you? So I'm, um, if you go to my Instagram, it's probably the easiest place for links to my books and my podcast. So just at Caroline Foran. So Caroline and then F O R A N uh, or carolineforan.com. You'll find me there as well. We'll put that, we'll put the link in the show notes. Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you and it's been a, such a, 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 an open, wonderful, vulnerable discussion and helps so many people so thank you for joining me today thank you so much dr caroline it was a pleasure i hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful if you want more tips and help with managing anxiety depression and mental health be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.